Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Go to synesthesia. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. All covered in cheese. And we are discussing <laughs> our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! Oh, what time is it? it? That's right. It's time for your weekly reminder about our Patreon page. <laughs> <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> In our continuing attempts to develop our podcast, expand it, create more content, we have launched a Patreon page so that fans of the podcast can pledge their support in exchange for an amazing range of brilliant perks, such as bonus episodes, hilarious deleted scenes, custom artwork, social media shout-outs, even the chance to record an episode with us. So if you don't want to miss out on any of that great content, then head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents and pledge away. Plus, as an absolute bonus at the moment to help all of us in our isolation, we've decided to put some of the perks from the higher tiers into the lower tiers so that anyone who's pledging will have access to the range of deleted scenes and bonus episodes that have already been put up. So uh, it's a great time to give it a go and see what you think. So, this week, we have our number 45s, for real this time, as opposed to our <laughs> brilliant fake-out from our April Fool's Day special. Oh, we got you good, didn't we? We really had you going. But before we do that, I uh, well, I've recently been struck by the pleasantly changing weather as springtime is approaching. I uh, took a relaxing stroll through my garden to observe the freshly flowering buds and blooming petals that were before me, and inspired, I decided to assemble a fragrant and beautiful, bountiful bouquet of chrysanthemums. <laughs> oh, goodness. The score is currently 29.25 to Chris. Unfortunately, Minty's <laughs> admittedly correct answer to the false question for the April <laughs> Fool's special doesn't count. Oh. Uh, Beyonce was never lined up to play Joanna Dark in a big screen adaptation of Perfect Dark. That's a shame. Right, here we go. Which blocky sandbox game created by Marcus... Minecraft. Minecraft. Oh, that's very close. But I think the point has to go to Crystal. That's 30, isn't it? Big 30 points. Well done. Yes, you don't need to rub it in. (laughs) Five points. Five points isn't much, Minty. You can can claw it back. We got loads of episodes. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, five of anything isn't that much. Five bits of rice. (laughs) You know? The list is endless. Five men. <laughs> That's a lot of men. I guess. Well, it depends how big your house is. So what have we been playing this week? Animal Crossing? Of course. Yeah. So much. So much. I had, <laughs> had a great time this morning. Sammy was sanding down and painting chairs for our living room in real life. And <laughs> I was... <laughs> And, and I, you know, I wanted to feel productive, so I, I basically built a suburb in my Animal Crossing town. I've grouped the houses that are there together, and I've also purchased some land from Nook the Crook to uh, to reserve some some plots for future people. I've cleared space to build a plaza, which I and I, I've I put a painted a, a garden bench and a bird bath, both in matching red. 
to, to go in there for now and then I built tiki torches to go at the base of all the waterfalls so um, <laughs> it's, it's a joint effort getting us through this uh, this troubling time <laughs> but um, <laughs> just put down the plot for the Able Sisters to move their shop into my town so I'm very excited to, to see what, what they bring tomorrow what, what have you guys been up to? I think I'm slightly further behind where you are in, in terms of development but I've, I've played it a lot Yeah, I might not be accomplishing that much but I, I play it a lot and for, for anyone that doesn't have a Switch, like the Switch tracks playtime in any given game, but only reveals the amount of time you've played something after 10 days. Okay. And tomorrow is officially the 10th day since release. Oh. And, and I'm frankly a bit scared of how high the number of hours played <laughs> is going to be because I, I've been working from home. Yeah. But as a teacher, what, what I can do is, is limited in, in my days. It's going to be high. I, I think I think we're talking like 30, 40 hours in the last week and a half. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I was it's about that. all the time when I'm not busy, I, I have it on, even if it's just sat in the background. Yeah. So it's the game that will get us through. I, I found myself just idling time just stood outside my front door because I managed to get some purple and pink chrysanthemums Ooh. from an island and planted them around my house. And they are technically hybrid flowers, which means they attract the peacock butterfly, Ooh. which is worth two and a half thousand bells and i can basically just do laps around my house and pretty much a new one will appear at one point i had four just flying around me <laughs> it was absurd and because they don't like run away when you chase them or when you catch something else near it yeah it's been a nice little learner and i've got a couple of little white flowers on the side which attract orchid mantises so it's quite a nice way of racking up some serious bellage <laughs> <laughs> what about what about you minty where how is your game progressing it's split mostly between me and mrs minty at the moment she enjoys someone i work and then i come home and uh, do some nighttime activities and then play some of the game i'm just trying to do things and figure out like what animal crossing is about like i'm not <laughs> terribly further forward than i was when we last spoke for the animal crossing special although that video that you shared jonathan about uh the the, the person singing don't be a sea bass don't be a sea bass <laughs> we tried to film that for my friend because she likes um whatever that it was based on tiktok yes oh. the tiktok it's, it's apparently a thing i've no <laughs> idea what it is it's because we're old men yeah. Catherine was like oh d- f- film you doing that don't be a sea bass thing and i'll send it to her because she'll like it so i was like yes i'll try and catch this uh, this big fish because if it's a sea bass and i've sung it don't be a sea bass then that's the that's the joke it's great so i was like, yeah. I was like don't be a sea bass don't be a sea bass and it's a cola canth yeah Ooh, it was great spicy. best moment of my marriage so far <laughs> fair enough thoroughly deserved I mentioned this to you this morning Chris because I've put a similar restriction on the game that you have which is I'm not allowed to play it until I've completed a morning workout on Ring Fit Adventure yeah and uh, my wife has been encouraging me with that and holding me to it and and it's, it's great it's such a great game it's not hard to start your day even if it's just with five ten minutes it's more than more than nothing <laughs> it's really good it is isn't it i didn't play it when you picked it up before I've, I've basically i've had it in my car boot for a couple months <laughs> and it was it was always the thing i was going to play and i was going to get out and whatever and then it's only just recently i was like well i i'm going to be in the house for a while <laughs> it feels like <laughs> so i might as well do something productive and I, I pulled it out 
I think I'm on my fifth day now. Yeah. Nintendo did a really good job at just like gamifying exercise and, and making it fun. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and I can honestly feel me sort of persevering with this for, for at least a few weeks we're going to be in lockdown, as it were. Yeah. But the only unfortunate thing for people now is that because of the situation, you can't get hold of the game anymore. No. And, and basically, if, if you want to buy a set, it's like upwards of 200 quid on eBay due yeah, to supply issues. So sorry yeah. if our kind of glowing praise has got anyone's hopes up, but you're probably not going to pick up a yeah. copy at the moment if you don't already have one. Yeah. One of the other things that happened in the last week was Nintendo dropped a surprise Nintendo Direct Mini, didn't they? They did, out of nowhere, yeah. Which was wonderful. I mean, that brought me a lot of joy. There was so many announcements, some really exciting things. Release date for Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, announcing Bioshock Collection, Borderlands Collection, XCOM 2 Collection most of which I've pre-ordered. <laughs> but one of the big surprises was the fact that they shadow-dropped Panzer Dragoon Remake onto the eShop, which is a game that is very celebrated amongst us few Sega Saturn fans. <laughs> yeah. And one that, you know, I was really, really excited to, to play. So, I, I mean, I bought it and downloaded it before the Nintendo Direct had finished. <laughs> and in about the time it took to rewatch the Nintendo Direct, I think I'd played and completed Panzer Dragoon Remake. It's not long. It is one of the, the shortest games and a price tag of £22.50 or whatever it is, that is, I'll be honest, it really is asking a lot, particularly as there isn't really much in it in terms of replayability other than going for a high score. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it's all right. <laughs> I must say, I'm overall, quite, quite disappointed. It didn't look anywhere near as good as I thought it was going to look. The new soundtrack that's been recorded hasn't been included in the game, is coming in a patch. Even just like modernising the controls hasn't really been done. It's weird because it, a few weeks back I talked about Wonder Boy 3, the remake of that, and how I felt they really sort of walked the line very well between being faithful and then remastering something. So I'm not sure where the balance is with Panzer Dragoon Remake. I mean, I think it would have made a lot more sense if they'd have... Because they're also remaking Panzer Dragoon Zwei. I don't know why they didn't remake both of them and put them together in one package because that would have given you at least a couple hours more <laughs> game yeah. more bang for your buck but apparently they are taking on quite a lot of feedback from this first one so maybe they'll patch it and improve it in the future i know it's obviously still going to be released on playstation 4 and xbox one at some point as well so i imagine it will look a lot nicer on that as well but yeah i can't help but but, but think that they were rushed to to, to get it out so it could be a Switch exclusive and therefore is a little bit incomplete. But there we go. Something else I played. Yes. Also from the Nintendo eShop, because it was I think it was like 95% off. I bought Piku Niku oh, for yes. about 89p, which I managed to sp spend some gold points on. I remember Minty, you'd mentioned it and said it was it was, it was was really nice. And it was nice, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, really nice game. Really nice game. It, it's very quirky. It's got a fun sort of graphical style. It's quite fun to control. There's some good puzzles in there, some funny interactions and stuff. It, it actually reminded me a, a little bit of the type of game that me and you, Chris, used to make <laughs> on Games Factory. Adventure Quest. That sort of thing. It sort of has a bit of a feel of sort of just making it up as you go along in terms of <laughs> yeah. creating the game, being like, oh, this would be funny for the next bit. This would be funny for the next bit. Oh, uh, maybe you know, we can't really do that. So let's just do that as a mini game and let's do that and and, and uh yeah so it's it's but it is but it's quite charming it's got a good wit to it and there's quite a lot of hidden secrets and stuff to find in there so i completed the game it's not very long and i might may well 
play through it again and try and unlock some of the other other trophies and, and stuff like that either of you play anything else i have actually because it's been like i said a, a week of lonesome time <laughs> I've, I've played quite a few smaller things just in between animal crossing so from the eShop, I, I played and beat two small games that probably cost about a pound each one called cosmonauta which is like a little platform game basically really simple it's got 65 stages each one is kind of like one hit kills try and get to the exit avoid the hazards type thing and the game was like really wildly variable difficulty like some early stages took me one or two tries and some levels towards the back end of the game literally took like over an hour of retries but but the whole thing was kind of compelling enough that i played through it like in a couple evenings and that was reasonably fun and the other game from the eShop is a game called abyss which I had on the Wii U at some point because it was one of the, the very few eShop exclusives on that and now it's obviously got a port to the Switch. Again, really simple. It's just got a handful of stages that are sort of like underwater mazes that you kind of make your way through and you use sort of like the asteroid style propulsion controls, if you know what I mean. So it's like you press a button and it will boost out of the back of your character and you twist and turn to kind of direct your propulsion, as it were. It's like Outer Wilds. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was a lot more adept at Abyss than I was at Outer Worlds. (laughs) But yeah, it's a game, it's quite tough in places, but by the game's end, I felt quite adept at it. And it was nothing special, but again, for for a quid, it was a decent time. And then the game I probably enjoyed most this week, other than Animal Crossing, is uh, the old Game Boy Classic Balloon Kid, like a 30-year-old game. Oh, yeah. And it's really, really good. I, I don't really know why I picked that one up in particular, but it's it's a really nice like auto-scrolling platform game, which normally I, I hate in games when it's like the, the auto-scrolling yeah, Sonic levels or whatever, but it's kind of paced just nice enough that you're kind of moving along holding balloons and floating or detaching the balloons to sneak through little gaps and jump across little platform hazards. And it just looks and sounds really nice. Like it's, it's 30 years old and yet I enjoyed it a lot more than those other two eShop games. Wow. And, you know, it's it was made by a tiny team back then because most games were. It was running on the diminutive Game Boy hardware. So it, it's not like a powerhouse in any means. But yeah, it's comfortably leagues better than, than Cosmonauta and Abyss. I, I would recommend it. You can get it on the 3DS on the virtual console there, yeah. or you can emulate it as I did. But yeah, really good fun. Balloon Kid is, is worth checking out for anyone that wants to go back and, and play some retro Game Boy goodies. Oh. Uh, nice. Presumably it's based on Balloon Fight from the NES, right? Yeah, it's it's like an official sequel. Oh, okay, there we go. Balloon Fight was more like a single screen arcade game where you just had to kill all the enemies and then move on to the next stage. Yeah. Whereas uh, Balloon Kid has kind of like eight actual stages and, and like a little story linking it together. Uh, nice. So similar to how Metroid got a sequel on the Game Boy in Metroid 2, oh, yeah. this, this got a, a sequel from the NES game on, on the Game Boy as well. Nice, nice. Well, maybe we'll see Balloon Prime come out <laughs> on the... Uh, <laughs> Balloon Prime Federation Force. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to the rankings? Yeah, boy. Hmm. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Oh, do we? Yes. Can you tell us about your 45th favourite video game of all time? Mario Kart 64 is a really good game. Oh. And it's not on my list. Hey! Because... Diddy Kong Racing is so much better. Yeah. Oh, what a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> up and down in a sentence. But yeah, I've, I've never been the most social of gamers. And although there's times when I do enjoy playing games with other people, so for instance, like this week, I've spent a lot of hours actually like video chatting with my brother whilst we just fish in Animal Crossing. Lovely. <laughs> but most of the time, gaming for me has been like a solo effort. On the N64, Mario Kart 64 was built as like the multiplayer game. And it excelled as a multiplayer game. It was fun to play with four people. The, the console had four controller ports. It was, it was great. But for me, once I'd personally like beaten each cup on the fastest speed, 
I didn't have friends come around all the time to play. So I never really saw the point in continuing to, to pick it up. So Mario Kart 64, once I'd, I'd beaten the, the cups, was kind of done. Whereas Diddy Kong Racing, on the other hand, was sold and positioned by Nintendo as like the single player focused kart racer for the time. So its main mode wasn't just a four track cup or Grand Prix like Mario Kart is. Instead, it had an adventure mode that had you racing and collecting and dueling and even taking part in a few little mini games as well to accrue golden balloons, like the sort of currency for the game that would in turn let you unlock tracks and challenges and bosses, etc, etc. Now, this came up. When did you have this on your list, Minty? It was up in your 80s, I think. I think it was number 81. There we go. So a long, old time ago. Mm. But I've got really incredibly fond memories of, of the N64 as the console that seemed to include like more in its games. So I'd come from the Sega Saturn, as we mention all the time, and a lot of games on the Sega Saturn were, were quite arcadey titles. So, for example, like from my list, we've had Sega Rally. You had a lot of fighting games like Virtua Fighter. You had the Parodius Collection that like I mentioned recently, all kind of arcade ports or arcade-style games. But the N64 was first and foremost like a home console. And I think that would manifest itself not only in couch co-op games like Mario Kart, that because it had those controller ports and people could play for hours and whatever, but also in sprawling adventure games. And, and Diddy Kong Racing, despite being a kart racer, is essentially an adventure game. I think Diddy Kong Racing looked the absolute bollocks for the time as well. <laughs> I, th- I think like no one got the best out of the N64 like Rare did. Yeah. And even in here, like in a racing game, the jump from sort of the pre-rendered sprite races of Mario Kart 64 to the polygonal characters of Diddy Kong felt massive. Yeah. Every- Everything was like more rounded, more whole. It just felt like this was a, a next generation thing. And although performance overall was naturally a bit ropey at times, as with, with most games on the console, things were smooth enough and detailed enough and snazzy enough that, as I mentioned when I talked about Golden Knight, no one cared. So it was another case of people saying, is the game fun? And then you go, oh yeah, it's great fun. And it's like, well, that's the end of the conversation then. Like, no, one, no one was worrying about this stuff then. And, and I do, I quite miss that. As long as the game functions, that, that's kind of good enough. Oh yeah. It was a, a brutally hard game. Uh, really, really difficult. Like I remember even the first boss, uh, Tricky the Triceratops, uh, took me many, many attempts to beat on his spiral mountain race course. And then when I did make my way further into the game, I remember the, the first time you uh, have to race against Whizpig, kind of the final boss. I remember like fully wanting to throw my console out the window, <laughs> like full on N64 defenestration because it was ludicrously difficult. Now a top tip for anyone playing today, if you do pick it up, it works slightly differently to how Mario Kart does. So when you hit a boost pad, you should release the accelerator and not just power through it and then press it again as you boost forwards and you get a little rainbow smoke out the back of your vehicle to show that you've made the most of the boost because perversely holding the accelerator down like you normally would which would feel quite natural actually slows you down so it's it's not what you should be doing but as a kid I didn't have the manual as a kid I didn't have the internet so it was only thanks to uh, an unknown runner at Awesome Games Done Quick a few years ago that I actually became a better DKR player (laughs) so uh, yeah anyone else in that boat give that a go and and your times will improve i think diddy kong for me also trumped mario kart because it not only included kart racing but it had hovercrafts it had planes and each of them had kind of their own handling models which changed further still by your choice of racer so it gave a lot more depth to a game that was already pretty deep for being essentially like a character-based racing game now when you did bring this up minty you obviously chose it as your would you say 81st favorite game yes but it's way better than that. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just, we'll take my number as the, the true entry for this one. That's fine. Yeah, it's still fun today. 
And as I mentioned back then, just don't bother with the, the watered down DS port because I think I mentioned this when you brought it up. It lowers the difficulty. It crowbars in some kind of touchscreen mini games and races that have you like popping balloons on little rail-based sections. And it just doesn't feel quite right. Like by, by its release on the DS, Rare had long since been absorbed by Microsoft. As we've mentioned a couple of times, I don't think I'm being churlish to say that they have never been the same since. Like the stuff they put out around kind of the, the N64 era was really the, the golden age for that team. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the DS port, I reckon if I had played it when I was a kid, like I did the N64 version, I probably would have really enjoyed it, but then forgotten about it as an adult. Whereas the N64 original, I, I do really believe it was, is, and continues to be like an absolute ripper. It's a really, really good game. So yeah, 45, Diddy Kong Racing. Best racing game on the N64. Mm. Well, there we go. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, the port to the DS because if you look at how the Mario Kart series had actually developed in between Mario Kart 64 and Mario Kart DS, mm. which was a, a huge leap forward, you know, I mean, it had gone via Mario Kart Super Circuit and then Double Dash and then Mario Kart DS. That's the trouble when you get something that is such an epitome of a genre like kart racing on a console, no matter what else comes out. You know, it's never going to hold a candle to it. And the rare, pardon the pun, the rare example is of Mario Kart 64 not being the best kart race on the N64, whereas across the board, it's always been the case. And you've seen things like like Garfield Kart and even like the Sonic Racing <laughs> and stuff like that. It, it doesn't hold a candle to it. So uh, it's a shame that, that the, the rival to the franchise obviously died out because um who, who wouldn't want more great kart racing action it's an un- underrepresented genre really these days that it, it just doesn't pop up that often apart from things like garfield car yeah which are always like bottom of the barrel kind of like tie-in shoehorned games but outside of, of mario kart and like some of some of the sonic racing games have been pretty yeah, decent been right. yeah I enjoyed the one on the 3DS. Yeah. That, that was good, because that came out before Mario Kart 7. So it, it stole, stole the thunder for a few weeks, at least. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, um, was there like a Konami racing game on the Game Boy Advance? There was like a kart game? Uh, yes, Konami Crazy Racers. There we go. That was quite good. Because that that came out before Super Circuit, so that was a similar sort of position that yeah. it got it got the plaudits for a few weeks. And then... Pole position. <laughs> Lovely. Moving on, we have Minty's game. Oh, great. So, Pokemon is a weird series to talk about on lists like this. Like, What more could you say about something that's basically the same game re-released with some new weird animals and a new pastiche of a major city every year or two that hasn't been said on this very podcast time and time again over the months? So we'll get the basics out of the way. Your ten and your pets help you save the world. <laughs> Excellent. I really like this generation of Pokemon for a couple of reasons. I didn't play Pokemon Platinum, which is widely lauded as one of the greatest mainline Pokemon games. Oh, yeah. Pokemon Diamond was a little disappointing, mostly because I didn't like the player characters' hats. (laughs) Fair enough. Understandable. I'd also become a little bit tired of uh, the Pokemon on the box becoming literal gods with control over some (laughs) aspect of reality, weather in Generation 3 and literal time and space in Generation 4. The legendary birds, red and blue, were great. Spicy, chilly, and zingy birds instead of nonsense. Like, it breathes out absolute zero, or, you know, it, it covers the whole earth in lightning just by flapping its wings, or its shit is the sun. <laughs> just animals with a twist. That's all Pokemon needs to be animals with a twist. The three legendary animals in this game are funny horses, and that's completely fine. The box legendary is just a big dragon that likes people who tell the truth or have really good ideas, depending on which version you buy. 
The game is a journey of entomological discovery and gussied-up cockfighting, and it doesn't need the added peril of a magic whale drowning the entire Earth unless you trap it in a ball that fits on your belt. No offence to you, Jonathan. (laughs) I know how much you like Kyogre. I do. I do. So, my game is Pokemon Black 2. Ah! It's cool, because it's got a really neat, like, sombre feel to it. It takes a place a few years after Pokemon Black... The evil team Plasma has been defeated, but it's also splintered into repentant and fanatic factions. The fanatic faction is the evil team in this game, and then as you're going on your journey, you'll see like the old sages of the old team Plasma, like, oh, we were wrong, we were blinded by our leader. Have a, I don't know, have a potion. <laughs> or, Here's a Pokemon that I found, that sort of thing. It's cool seeing how individuals from Team Plasma dealt with the leader's defeats, like which side of the fence they fell, and it brought a little bit more depth to the team than just, <laughs> the world's going to be ours. Like, we've had a decade of superhero films. We've had enough poorly motivated megalomaniacs, thank you very much. I'll take the clash between people who thought they were doing the right thing, realising they weren't in atoning, and those who doubled down on trying to end the ownership of Pokemon over whatever Team Galactic were trying to do in Diamond and Pearl. It paints them as more human, and I like it a lot. You've also got Pokestar Studios as well, that was cool. So often when you're playing through a Pokemon game, it can become a mash-A to win affair, especially when you're 15 and grinding out Elite Four wins in Pokemon Sapphire to get your Pokemon to level 100 during your lunch break, which didn't even matter in the end because your cousin saved over your file that had a mythical Pokemon you went to an event at the local cinema to download because Wi-Fi wasn't a thing. Oh. <sighs> oh. <laughs> Pokestar Studios, though, added a sense of spectacle to battling. You had to keep your opponent alive for so long to let the script progress. Let your Pokemon get knocked out for thrills before getting the upper hand in the thrilling climax or whatever. There was a lot of scripts to film, so there might have been a like a rom-com, like, oh, my unpheasant shat on a lady's coat. <laughs> I'll go over and uh, wipe it off using a water move. We'll fall in love, that sort of thing. Uh... It, was, it was great. It was just a fresh take on the core mechanic that I thought worked a lot better than contests. Richard Curtis actually co-wrote some of that stuff. So I, I believe it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Four weddings and a pokey stop. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I didn't like the contests or the beauty pageants in Generation 4 because I couldn't find all the accessories that make your Pokemon beautiful. Like I could recover my penguin in brown fluff and call it a day, placing fourth time <laughs> and time again. There were three other entrants. <laughs> also, the Pokemon are cool too. Gen 5 introduced 150 new Pokemon. And while this isn't the case in Black 2, that was all you could catch in Pokemon Black before completing the game. I think this is exactly what each new Pokemon game should have done. 100 new Pokemon in each game, and that's all you could catch until you're done. Then you can work on your collection once you've beaten the main storyline. A few choice favourites are... Here we go. Shelmet and Carablast. Two bugs oh, brilliant. that, when traded, evolve by Shelmet giving Carablast its shell. That's cool. Very cool. My boy Archeops, uh, one of the fossil Pokemon, he carried me in the first game. It's got a terrible nature that halves its attack when it's at 50% health or less. But <laughs> good luck getting to that point. <laughs> oh. And then uh, Genesect, the cool prehistoric bug yeah. that has a gun on its back after Team Plasma messed around with it a bit. Galvantula, the electric tarantula. Ah, yes. And Herdia, who is just a dog. Woof. Oh, yeah, Lillipup. Oh, it's also wonderful. Yeah, literally just a dog. What about Chandelure? Uh, I like I like Chandelure a lot, actually. Yes. 
That was one, I think that was one of my teams as well. I like Golurk. Mm, mm, mm. Very cool. I like Golurk even more when I saw it in the Detective Pikachu film. Very cool. Yeah, just Very like cool. walking around like clonk, clonk. Yeah. The best thing about Pokemon Black 2 for me, though, was the post-game area, the Black City. Oh, More specifically, yeah. the Black Tower. It was a really cool take on the Battle Tower stuff that's been in pretty much every game since Pokemon Crystal, but with one crucial difference. Your Pokemon's level isn't set to 50 or 100, and it can gain experience. The toughest trainers have Pokemon in the 80s. The tower boss is the champion's grandson, and he has like a level 80 Latios, a Volcarona, and something else. All like, you know, top tier strong stuff. Very, the creme de la creme. Combine this with the amount of flaws in the tower, the confusing layout of each area, and the lack of healing options, the Black Tower is tough, rewarding, a little frightening at times, but most importantly, fun. Ah, yes. As a game should be. So there we go. Pokemon Black 2, a sequel done well, and there hasn't been a better mainline Pokemon game since Pokemon Black 2, in this reporter's humble opinion. Back to you in the studio. Ah, back in the studio, we disagree. But that's okay. <laughs> it, although I, I did, I had a great time with it. Although I wasn't, I mean, whilst I did enjoy these games, I didn't enjoy the new Pokemon that much. I didn't like the, the, the Cloud Boys. No, no, me neither. Or the Elemental Deer, or whatever they were, Cabalion and... Yes, the interesting horses. Yeah, not not fast. Mm. I, I liked the main two legendaries. Didn't they merge in like in the sequel? With... Well, no, so Reshiram and Zekrom merged with Kyrem. And they were, instead of... Depending on which one you had. Yes, yes. Instead of them sort of saying, oh, this Pokemon controls the fabric of space. They represented yin and yang. And then mm. Kyrem, the icy one with bits broken off him, represented the little bit of yin in yang and vice versa or something like that. Yeah. I liked that. I liked that it was more symbolic. It's a bit more existential. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, it makes you think. It does. About Pokemon. It's Pokemon, isn't it? Lovely. Tell us about your game, Jonathan. So without wishing to sound like I'm ripping off last week's spectacular spoofery, my 45th favourite video game is actually one of a rare few PC games on my list. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I came to this game after I played the enormous and brilliant open-world fantasy role-playing game Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion because someone basically said, you've got to play this game. It's essentially a dystopian sci-fi Oblivion. It's Fallout 3. Ah. Ooh. So this game is very much in the same vein as all of Bethesda's role-playing games. So if you've ever played Oblivion or Skyrim or Fallout 4 or, to be honest, even stuff like Dishonored and maybe even Doom, like typically first-person affairs, huge expansive worlds, one big epic overarching storyline and a seemingly endless supply of side quests. Now, the general setting for Fallout 3 is well, Earth, but it's about 300 years from now, I think, and it's been reduced to a post-nuclear wasteland following some global war. And humanity basically retreated to these enormous underground vaults to live in whilst they waited for the fallout to settle. And this is where you start the game. And the way the game starts is, I must say, it's quite thrilling. And I think it's one of the most effective openings to a game ever. You start at birth. And that's a big opener that you come out of. Ha! <laughs> no. Um... Oh. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, <laughs> so you start where most things start. You start at birth and you see the world for the first time through blurry newborn eyelids. And then you get this little montage where you see the world inside the vault as you grow up. 
which also doubles as a bit of a tutorial and customization section, which is surprisingly quite organically done when usually when you start a big game like this, you spend like the first half an hour making sure you get your eyebrows absolutely perfect for, for how you want your character to be. But then your father in the game voiced by Liam Neeson, quite brilliantly. He leaves the vault, and the overseer of your vault calls for a lockdown, something we can all relate to. Jesus. <laughs> you, basically <laughs> leave, you basically leave the vault to try and find your father before the police do, I think. I think that was the setup. One way or the other, you end up fighting your way out of the vault, and then you emerge blinded by the sun into the overworld for the first time in your life as you're confronted by this quite frankly overwhelmingly large world that is in entire ruin it's epic as all heck now the tone of the game is brilliantly set as well because whilst you do have this grim reality of the situation that you're in it's mixed in with a fantastic combination of of dark humor so you're never taking things too seriously although i remember actually one of the first locations i came across after leaving the vault was a burnt-out school, complete with, like, the nuclear shadows of children and, like, little desks and chairs reduced to ash, oh. which was, I mean, honestly, genuinely harrowing and something that stayed with me. And and then one of the first, like, major places you come to is a town called Megaton, which has got its name because in the middle of the town there is an undetonated atomic bomb. <laughs> so there's this massive threat hanging over... <laughs> this this little this little town which is which is which is is quite horrible given how much time you have to spend in there in fact i believe actually uh, my character bedded a prostitute whilst in the town so i even spent a night Ooh. there i know i know <laughs> bedded a lady of the night mm. Mm. but later in the game one of the most significant moments leads you to make the decision as to whether or not to detonate the bomb and i can't remember why i chose the decision i did but the sight of the mushroom cloud on the horizon as a whole settlement was reduced to vapour is, again, something that has stayed with me. Quite a profound moment. And to be honest, I can't really talk much of the story apart from that opening and those couple of bits because, and even that I had to remind myself of when writing this. I mean, it has been quite a long time since I played the game and in truth, I find the main storyline in any open world game to be one of the least important parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> Because of how satisfying the gameplay is and because of sort of how the game's set up, I basically just find myself doing everything else I possibly could do before moving the main storyline forward. It was really, really addictive. Uh, you'd be walking on your way to your next objective or something and you'd spot a little icon pop up on your radar or on your map, which might be like a cave or a town or a point of interest. And you just have to take a slight detour to check it out. It, it, it wasn't much of a detour. So you'd be oh, just, just check that out. And that would lead to another side quest or you'd find like a new weapon that would then be really good to maybe go back and take out a group of bandits that were causing you problems under a bridge to get some treasure they were hiding or something. And you just, you just explore and explore and explore and you just have a wonderful time doing it. It was really, really joyous, despite the fact that you were just trudging through miles of absolute shit. <laughs> and there was, I mean, just so much to explore. I know that the city it was based on, the location was, was Washington, but also some other areas as well. And, and I really wouldn't be surprised if it was actually built on a one-to-one scale. So you were actually exploring how big these places were, because it just seemed to go on for, forever. 
there is like a, a certain resonance that you get when you do stumble across some of these famous landmarks around Washington, even though I'm not American and I'm not as familiar with them. They're still these massive global icons and you see them reduced to, to, to rubble or you see like the fact that now there's a whole population of infected people living inside City Hall or, or somewhere. And it's, all, it's all quite it's quite powerful stuff. I spoke about this game recently in our Patreon exclusive DLC special episode saying that because I bought the Game of the Year edition, I didn't consciously play the DLC content as it was woven in quite naturally to the game. Mm. And I wonder if I had played the game, just just the standalone game right from the off, that you know I might have been a bit more compelled by the main storyline and I wouldn't have got so distracted with... I mean, there th- must be thousands of side quests. It's absurd. However, I was very excited to play the... It was basically sort of like a standalone spin-off, which was Fallout New Vegas, which, I mean, it was a lot more than a piece of DLC. It wasn't Fallout 4, but it was a really big game, and that had a great story at the centre of it. It was this sort of crime gangster storyline as you were trying to courier a special poker chip to, like, a crime lord in New Vegas. I mean, there was loads of stuff you could do when you were on the Vegas Strip. You could play loads of different gambling games and casinos and stuff, and there was all of that sort of woven in with all of the other Fallout things, and it was it was brilliant. And one of the coolest things that the game introduced was a mode called Hardcore Mode, which made the game a lot more realistic. So <laughs> it was it was great. Like stim packs and radaways, which would usually like recover your health and cure you of your radiation, just like you'd, you'd take them and you'd, you'd be better. That would only cure you over time. Ammo had weight to it, so you couldn't just carry tons of ammo every time you found it. You really had to sort of be careful with how much you were carrying. You had to stay hydrated and drinking non-radiated water. You needed to eat regularly and you needed to get like regular sleep as well. And sleeping, which usually would like recover health and like heal broken limbs and stuff, it wouldn't do that because that's not how it would work in in, in real life. <laughs> that's not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. I mean, but it was like, like really hardcore stuff. I mean, obviously, obviously, I didn't play it with that mode on because it's not fun. But it was very very cool that it was actually a thing. Fallout Four also had this mode, but unlike Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas, I found Fallout Four to be a huge huge disappointment. <laughs> now. I, uh, I'm not entirely sure why, because, I mean, it was very much in the same vein. It was like the Skyrim to Fallout 3's Oblivion. There was a lot more customization in the game. There was a lot of crafting. You had the option to travel around in these enormous mech suits, which were very powerful and could, like, fly and smash things and whatever. Although each limb of the suit required a separate battery to power it, which would frequently run out. So that just felt like a huge chore right from the off. I mean, it's possible that I didn't start the game in the right frame of mind to tackle an open-world game, despite the fact that I shelled out an embarrassing amount of money on the special edition that came with, like, a wearable Pip-Boy. I'll remember. <laughs> put, put your phone into and then use it as your menu system. I mean, let's be honest, that's brilliant. It was amazing, but not worth... Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, Skyrim was probably the last open-world game that I, I played, which was, like, four years prior to Fallout 4. And, you know, like we've mentioned several times, the older we've got, the less time we've had for those, like, huge undertakings. Yeah. Although I have given it a couple more tries since. I picked it up on the PS4 cheap when I when I first got my PS4, but it, I just... I don't know. I just didn't have it in me, really. I mean, if a Switch port happened, maybe I might play it on the go. Just, to be honest, just maybe not. With like the jump from Oblivion to Skyrim, there was enough variation, just, just in terms of landscape, that it felt like you were playing a different game. Whereas all nuclear wasteland kind of looks the same. 
even within one game, let alone then going, oh, okay, this is, uh, it looks the same, but a bit shinier or a bit shitter. In order for the Fallout series to be successful going forward, and, and this is including the incredibly bad press that happened around Fallout 76. <laughs> yeah, that really tanked, didn't it? Yeah, I think they, they, they're going to need to find a way to step things up a little bit and shake it up a little bit for the series to be successful. I mean, I'm still massively behind the series. I mean, I've got a couple of bobbleheads of the, the Vault Boy bobbleheads from Collector's Editions here. And so I'll, I'll still be really, really excited to see whatever is announced next if they do continue the series. I will take the opportunity, as this is the only representation of the Fallout series in my list, about how great Fallout Shelter was on mobile devices. Ooh. It was a real surprise. It came out as Bethesda were teasing Fallout 4, and it successfully whetted my appetite for Fallout 4, given the fact that I then shelled out an embarrassingly large amount of money. <laughs> but, but Fallout Shelter was free, and I put in a lot more time into that. And a real credit to the game is that there's still loads of games coming out that are ripping it off. Yeah. But it, it did like the life sim set up really well, had a really nice graphical style, and not a real take advantage of you free to play setup. So I, I, I had a great time with that game. Anyway, aside from Fallout 4, Fallout Shelter, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 3 is my 45th favourite video game of all time. <laughs> great. Good stuff. So there we have it. We have another eclectic trio of games. First of all, we had. Diddy Kong Racing! Diddy Kong Racing! <laughs> <laughs> and then we had... Pokemon Black 2! Before finally... Oh, that 3! If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do leave us a review, share it on social media, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And if you really, really enjoyed the episode, why not check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash our3cents, and have a look at some of the perks you can get for pledging your support to the podcast. Huge thanks to CJ Anderson, Gene Limbrick, Debbie Booth, and Andy Smith, who are currently our Patreon supporters. If you want to reach out to us, you can also do that. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash hour three cents. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer on a future episode, or you can chat to us about these games or just simply any games that you like. Or to be honest, anything else. I mean, we're here for you. We are. Especially in these times. In these times, we must band together. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. I am Clement underscore <coughs> And Ooh. please do join us next time for our 44th favorite video games of all time hey chris what's the war rocket ajax podcast about well matt if we were smart it'd be about murders but it's actually about comics war rocket ajax it's not about murders but it is weekly on the greenlit podcast network <laughs>